You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. This episode is sponsored by MidMobile. After the year we've all been through, saving money should be at the top of everyone's resolution list. So if you're still paying insane amounts of money every month for wireless, why not switch? Switching to MidMobile is the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, MidMobile lets you maximize your savings with plans starting at just $15 a month. I've recently started using MidMobile myself, and I can vouch that the service coverage is far better than my old carrier. Plus, I was able to continue using my beloved iPhone while saving money. By going online only and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day money-back guarantee. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash ruby. That's mintmobile.com slash ruby. Cut your unlimited wireless bill to 30 bucks a month with mintmobile.com slash ruby. You're listening to episode 354 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Rafael Franza is a principal engineer at Shopify working on improving the Ruby ecosystem. He's been a member of the Rails core team since 2012 and is the contributor with the most commits to the framework. Welcome to the show, Rafael. Thank you. Greetings for all over Canada. It's a pleasure to be here in the show. It's fantastic to have you. So, Rafael, what is your developer origin story? So, I started, like, I think 12 years ago, work with PHP in a smaller company in Brazil doing like marketing websites so small companies like uh, bakeries and grocery stores in, in a small city in Brazil so after two years work with, with PHP I was already involved with the Ruby and Rails ecosystem and I started to work towards like becoming a full-time Rails developer. And I started that path by working on some open source projects that like were uh, well known in the Ruby community, like device in simple form made by the platform attack. And after working a few months in those projects, I got invited to an interview at platform attack and that interview went very well. I started to work with Jose Valin and other platform tech old members. And that was my start to or the beginning of me working with Rails full time. And I was mostly working with as a consultant in like different projects in different startups in Brazil and even in the United States as well. And I spent like five years work as a consultant was a very good like experience to me because I had the opportunity to work in many different backgrounds, not just like Ruby specifically, but also like I work a little bit with the Elixir language. I work as well, like with different database storage, like MySQL, Portuguese, MongoDB, 
And yeah, I think that's my origin. That is amazing that you were a platform attack. Now, were you there whenever Devise was at its like peak popularity? Yes, I was there. Uh, Devise was released in 2009, and I joined the company in 2011. But like, I, I still maintain Devise until today. I think the popularity started really in 2011. A lot of people using, a lot of people excited about like the entire ecosystem of genes that Platform Attack created, not only device, but uh, simple form, inherited resources, and responders. And yeah, it was pretty good to be there. I learned a lot from Jose Valin and from the other Platform Attack members. That's fantastic. So I'm going to take a guess. This is going to relate to our next question, but how did you become a Rails core team member? So th that has a little bit of like background. Like I was working with PHP and I saw for the first time in my life, actually, uh, a Brazilian take a, like a, a role in, in an open source community like Jose Valin did. He was invited to be a member of the Rails core in 2000. And I said to myself, like, that's amazing. I never saw a Brazilian being in front of an open source community. Uh, when I get more experience, I want to be like him. And one year later, I started to work with Jose. And I started to just work in, in, to my dream, my goal, to actually become part of a leader of an open source community. And in as one of my New Year's resolution, I decided to that like in the first of January of 2012, I would start to contribute to Rails, and I actually sat down and started to find different ways to write patches. And I found one that was like easy to me at the time. That was like Errol Patterson started to remove support to Ruby 1.8 in Rails, and there was a lot of conditionals in the code, like if Ruby 1.8 do this if not like do this other part other code so i started to delete all those conditionals and open pull requests and they started to get accepted i started to get more uh used with the code base and kind of started to build different like in bigger patches my first big patch i think was working on refactoring the way that we generate input tags in forms based on my previous work on simple form i kind of restructured that code that part of rails to be more object oriented and to like he used some code instead of doing a lot of duplication and that's how i started to contribute to rails i think it took me uh, three months i believe to be invited to be part of the rails committers team that Rails has a progression in the contribution contribution path. Like you start as a regular contributor, and then you get access to commit to the repository itself. After that, you become a, a Rails core member. So I got in three months access to be able to commit to Rails because I think I was annoying the other Rails core teams a lot because I was reviewing others people PR and kind of getting the states that could be merged and I started to ping people saying 
please merge this PR, please merge that PR. And they said, you are doing all the work, you just need to press a button, like, take this commit, like, access and press the button yourself. I love that because we're recording this in January, just as people are still considering their New Year's resolutions. And so the fact that you set that to be a resolution back then and to this day are still a core contributor is just absolutely amazing. And it just proves, you know, the persistence and how much value there can be in just moving things along. And so I think it's very impressive that you became a core contributor within three months. Yes, I I was actually very happy and like, to be very frank, was a little bit hard because I was doing during my free time, not like my work time. Given at work, I was expected to like be a consultant in different companies, so I could not actually just say today I'm going to work on Rails. So all of that was during my free time, and it was a little bit hard, but it was also very rewarding. Oh, I imagine so. So not only are you a core team member, but you are also a release manager for Rails. So Rafael, can you explain what that would mean? Yeah, so the release manager for Rails, like I would say it's not a special role. Like we usually rotate, but I've been doing that for a while already. What the person is responsible for is to make sure that like all the features that we are deciding to put in the framework are like in a level of quality that we are happy with, like everything is working well integrated. So just to give the last example, in Rails 6.1, I took the entire December to actually try to find bugs that like people are reporting with the first release candidates and fix those bugs, make sure that everything was working properly. I also like spent some time creating new Rails applications just to make sure that the the development path of someone that is beginning to like create a Rails application it still works for everyone. I coordinate with different people on like time frame for different features. Like Elin was working the database like sharding for Rails six one, and I was coordinating with her what pieces of the feature was still missing. How other people could help, which bugs needed to be addressed before the release. And after all that work is done, is mostly just like building the gens and publishing to Ruby gens. It's not a lot of like secret on that part, it's just a simple command. But like, oh, there is also like the, the part of upgrading the change logs and make sure that everything is documented, like how you upgrade the Rails app is also documented in the Rails guides. Kind of making, taking all the features and kind of blend it together and make sure that everything is is smooth for everyone. So I get a little bit nervous even updating one of my own gems, maybe on a work project or in an open source project. Do you get any sort of thrill from updating Rails, knowing that so many people are pulling it down or are going to be move, like waiting for it basically instantly? Or have you been doing it for so long that it has become matter of fact? I, I think like I've been doing this for so long that I, like I'm so confident on it already that like even the last version I released without any release candidates, even make a joke on Twitter that I knew that nobody was trying it anyway. So like why I would like release a release candidate at all. 
But in the beginning, I was very afraid. Sometimes I made a few mistakes. It, it happened actually, especially in the security releases. Sometimes we like patch a security bug, and in the past we used it to release on top of the last stable branch. What means that people to get a security fix, they would also have to upgrade uh, the gen to get all the unrelated bug fix that sometimes broke other people's application. So I think right now I, I so use it to do it that I know every every like problem that could happen and I'm very cautious on always doing the same like steps. We even coded most of the steps in the repository itself, so you can just run a command, everything is going to like happen. That sounds great. Sounds like it definitely leads to developer happiness. So I want to talk about how Shopify factors into it. So how do you allocate your time at Shopify between core work and open source? So one of the ideas of my position at Shopify is that like I define my the work that needs to be done myself. So I don't have a lot of like allocated time to work on open source is varies during the time of the year and the needs. Like I try to be very focused on the problems of Shopify itself and use that to improve the framework. But sometimes I focus mo all my time to open source, like last December that I spent most of the time working to release Rails 5.1. But the beginning of the year was hard to me to allocate time to open source because I had a team of 16 people reporting to me and that took most of my time but I could still do some contributions here and there. So like I said it depends a lot on what are the needs. Sometimes I need to focus really on Rails, sometimes I need to focus on some problem at Shopify. And one thing that I always try to to do is to always have someone, if not me, someone in my team working on, on Rails most of the time, so we continue to improve the framework. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout APM is application performance monitoring designed to help Rails developers quickly find and fix performance issues without having to deal with the headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With the developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, Scout helps you quickly pinpoint and resolve performance concerns, like N plus one queries, slow database queries, and memory bloat, so you can spend less time debugging and more time building a great product. And with Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails, you can rest easier knowing that Scout's on watch to help you resolve performance issues before your customers ever see them. Give Scout a try today with a free 14-day trial and experience firsthand why Rails developers worldwide call Scout their best friend. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails. Thank you to Scout APM for supporting the show. Oh, that's fantastic. So you always have someone within your team of 16 also working alongside with you on Rails? Yes, like... Is is not really set on stone, but like just to give example, Shopify is always running on the last commit of Rails, so we upgrade Rails every week in, at Shopify. 
instead of doing like a upgrade every or every major version, we always upgrade Rails. And that means that sometimes we found bugs before anyone else, right? Right. And because of that, we also fix those bugs itself because we know how to reproduce. We have the application that can reproduce those bugs. So that's caused other people in my team to actually be contributing to Rails. And when I'm not doing the Rails upgrade, like someone else is doing, and that person is also responsible for fixing the bugs we found. Oh, interesting. Well, we've hinted around at it a couple times, but I want to uh, formally congratulate you on the release of Rails 6.1, which sounds like it was a very confident release. But I'm curious, what feature are you most excited about? So I, I think the features that I'm more excited about is like the features to improve the the support of the framework for big applications. One of them is like the sharding, database shard implementation. That's a feature that allows you to like split the same database schema in different databases and be able to swap which database you are connecting based on the some information you have in the request. So let's say you have a separation by domains. If someone enjoys the application using a domain, it's connected to a database. If the domain is different, connect to a different database. I think that's one of the features I'm most excited about. The other one is destroy all in background. So the reason why this feature was implemented is like sometimes you have a two models that have a relationship between them. And when you delete one model, you want to delete all the other models that are related to that one. Mm -hmm. So before the change, when you do that, it means that Rails would like only continue the request after all the, the models are deleted. So imagine if I have a big application, like the case of Shopify, that in that relationship you have hundreds or even thousands of records and deleting those records takes like two or three minutes. That means that those users would have to wait three minutes to actually see a success or a error message, right? And that's not acceptable in any standards for users. So now we have a feature that would like enqueue a job in background to delete those records while still like keeping the request free of that wait time. That makes sense. And I actually didn't know about the destroy all, but that makes a lot of sense in something that I would actively use. I feel right now I don't have a project that could use the database sharding, but I can see how important that would be for really large scale applications. Um, yeah, I think that covers a nice span of applications that would be using Rails currently. So are there any other considerations that the Rails core team is thinking about larger applications? It seems like a lot of the last couple of releases have had features probably because of the influence of Basecamp, GitHub, Shopify around larger applications. So one thing that I trying to include in Rails right now is ability to like do maintenance tasks to your database in production. So today people sometimes like have some need to change some data in production and 
what usually people do is like connect to the Rails console in production and run some commands. And that's kind of risky, right? Because you could run the wrong command. For example, you could delete all the records. And that actually happened in a few cases. So my team is working a new feature to introduce maintenance tasks in production that are safe to execute, but also give you the ability to test them before actually run, right? Like, so we are calling that maintenance tasks framework. I'm not, like, I'm not saying that's going to be included in Rails, but it's a feature that we are planning to open source and like make it easy to Rails application to actually change uh, production data in a safer way. You cannot see how excited I am right now. I cannot wait for that because I get a little bit of terror every single time I have to open production console to modify really anything. It could be the silliest thing, but there's something sacred about production that always makes me nervous. I was so glad whenever Rails implemented the um, warning if your uh, your test uh, your test setup for some reason was pointed at production, it would warn you. I mean, it's never happened to me, but just knowing that that, that was there and those kind of considerations are put in place, I really appreciate it. Yes, and like that's something that we see every day at Shopify. Like we have a few hundreds of applications already in the company and every single application was kind of building similar systems in different ways, like some of them were like creating database migrations to enqueue jobs to actually do the, the, the production change. Others were using scripts, like writing scripts and testing those scripts. So we, we thought there a way to make this easy to build and to test, also a way to uh, make it possible to people to not have to think about some problems that this could cause, right? Like you could write a database change that could lock a table. And that means that like some of your users would not be able to access that table at all in your system. Or you could, for example, be doing a loop to change all the records for something mm -hmm. and that caused so many SQL queries that you took down your own database because of that. So we build the system in a way that's resilient to those cases that like we have turtles to tell you that like your database is busy so we kind of make the job wait instead of continuing hammering your database and taking it down. Oh, interesting. Would that also translate if you were going to run like a very intensive migration as well? Not, not at this point, like migrations, I, I, like we have solutions for this in Shopify already, like, but we, I don't like we never codify in our open source project. And that's something I plan to do actually in the future is like having all those best practices to database to make sure that like you're not hammering on your your database in the migration and taking it down. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Linode. Simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's Linux virtual machines. Develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Whether you're developing a personal project or managing larger workloads, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions. 
Get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit for listeners of the Ruby on Rails podcast. You can find all the details at linode.com slash Ruby on Rails. Linode has data centers around the world with the same simple and consistent pricing regardless of location. Choose the data center nearest to you. You will also receive 24-7, 365 human support with no tiers or handoffs regardless of your plan size. You can choose shared and dedicated compute instances, or you can use your $100 in credit on S3-compatible object storage, manage Kubernetes, and more. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Visit linode.com slash Ruby on Rails and click on the Create Free Account button to get started. Thanks to Linode for supporting the show. That's great. So I have questions about how the cadence of Ruby on Rails development works. So you're just coming off the release of Rails 6.1. Do you immediately start merging pull requests into master? Are you working towards Rails 6.2, Rails 7? Like what is next for Ruby on Rails? Following our conventions, it should be Rails 6.2, but David just asked us to start thinking as this release as the Rails 7. He has big plans that I'm not going to tell right now because they may change, but I'm pretty sure that David will talk about those plans uh, later. I, one of days, like he announced last December, a new way to build like Rails applications using uh, HTML over the wire, the hot wire project. And that's one of the features that's coming in the next Rails version. But as soon we release uh, the first release candidate of Rails, we start the new version. So like I release Rails 6.1 in, in, in the end of December, and the same day we started the Rails 7. And our plans are usually like we try to release every RailsConf. This year was a little bit different, mostly because of COVID, but uh, actually last year was different because of COVID and also because I was so busy like at Shopify that I could not focus on the release. But we are planning Rails 7 to this RailsConf that I believe is going to be in April or May. That's exciting. I'm hoping, well, I don't know if we'll be able to be in person by that point. I think we're, we're still not clear if that's that's going to happen. I'm looking forward to it regardless. Um, Ruby on uh, RailsConf always puts on a great show, so I'm excited for that. But thank you for the hints about uh, Rails 7. So that that is exciting. Um, so, Rafael, as someone who is so ingrained in the Ruby on Rails community, you've been here for a long time and really have put a lot of your career into it. I'd love to know, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? I'm personally very excited about the future of Ruby. Uh, I've been working, as I said, in my team at Shopify, we have people working in many different areas of the Ruby ecosystem. Like we have a team specialized on types and they are working with Stripe on Sorbet and also with the Rubicon team to define what types for Ruby is going to be. We have people working on with like different improvements to the Ruby VM. Like we implemented the garbage collector compactor in Ruby 3 and now we are exploring some new ways to implement a just time compiler for Ruby. And I think I'm very excited about the, the hackers work and all the async work that 
like was made to Ruby Tree, and I'm actually looking forward to see what the community is going to get out of those new features and what's going to exist in terms of new web servers, new uh, like background workers, uh, even new frameworks. Like I'm excited that Hanami is trying to release the version two of the framework. I excited about the work of PR that he's doing on DryRB. So there are a lot of activity happening in the Rails community, in the entirety, not only Rails, but like Hanami, DryRB, Puma, Sidekick, I think those projects are as amazing as like I would expect a community to build. I love that you're not just, even though you focus so much of your work on Ruby on Rails, I absolutely love the fact that you are acknowledging that there are other Ruby frameworks out there and that they're doing amazing work as well. Yeah, the episode right before yours is uh, Tim Riley talking about Hanami 2.0. And it just really feels like our community has, yeah, I don't know, really flourished and a lot of great work is being done over the past year. Raphael, I want to uh, commend you because I have read many pull requests where you are the person driving the the feature, whether it's a new contributor or a seasoned contributor. You're just so courteous and so direct on guiding that person in order to get their pull request merged into Rails. Is that a learned skill or is that something that just came over time? It's definitely something that I learned. Like... I, I'm not an uh, English first language like person, right? I'm from Brazil, so I had to learn first how to communicate effectively in English, and that was hard. Like you, if you get my first interaction with people in 2012 that I was still learning English, I was very direct and sometimes I would say rude to people, not because I was trying to be rude, but just I, I, I did not know how to communicate without being rude. And, but something that I always learned is that I need to be direct and I need to tell what I expect because like otherwise people would not know that like that was a direction that I was trying to push or just a recommendation, right? And yeah, I think I had to learn a lot with that skill. One thing that I always learned is that like giving early feedback and rejecting things is better than not commenting anything and just letting the pull request stay there for years, right? Like, so if I see something that I agree, I try to push as fast as possible so we can merge. If I see something that I don't think should be in the framework, I try to close the pull request or the issue as soon as possible with explanation so the person don't like get the hope side that someone will ever merge this and like they just mo can move on and I don't know improve that feature to be a different way or even implement the next feature that I will probably merge. This episode is sponsored by Mint Mobile. After the year we've all been through, saving money should be at the top of everyone's resolution list. So if you're still paying insane amounts of money every month for wireless, why not switch? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you maximize your savings with plans starting at just $15 a month. I've recently started using Mint Mobile myself, and I can vouch that the service coverage is far better than my old carrier. 
Plus, I was able to continue using my beloved iPhone while saving money. By going online only and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day money-back guarantee. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash ruby. That's mintmobile.com slash ruby. Cut your unlimited wireless bill to 30 bucks a month with mintmobile.com slash ruby. That's fantastic. Well, I asked this of everyone who is so active in the open source community, but you know, how can the listeners be supporting your work? I don't know exactly how people can support me, but I think the easiest way to support me is with like help, helping me to like fix bugs, giving me better uh, better descriptions of the issue, or like trying to reproduce the issue of other people, so I can like guide people to have. To fix it or review other people's PRs. I think that's something that people don't know. But you don't need to be a real school member to be reviewing other people's PR. You can like try to help people to like write better tests. Or you could try to like help people to find different refactors that, that they can do in DPRs. And that's a huge help because like I said, I really care about people getting early feedback and I cannot give feedback to all, every single PR that's open in Rails. So if other people want to help me, that's a way to help me. It's like try to give people feedback, try to point people to the right direction and get more involved with the community. I also think that I believe the Ruby ecosystem is not only Rails. So I believe that people create new projects. Like I can give a very good example. Like years ago, we only had a few web servers like uh, Webbrick and Fin, and then we have Unicorn, Puma, and now Falcon. I think creating those things and kind of innovating in the community is a great way to help the framework to move forward because we can also find ways to integrate those new ideas in the framework or even to work together closer with those people. That's fantastic. Um, Rafael, thank you so much for everything you've done for this community. How can listeners follow you? You can find me on Twitter and also GitHub as Rafael Franca. And I think those are the two only social medias that I use. You got it. I will link all of that up in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I have learned so much and I am excited for the upcoming releases. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.